0: You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I'm joined today by Dr. Saba Khan, the medical director of the CHOP Healthy Weight Program. Hi Saba. Hi Katie, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Saba and I used to work together in primary care, so she has a background in primary care and general pediatrics as well. And she's gonna be talking with us today about food insecurity. In the past year, the AAP recommended that pediatricians screen all children for food insecurity. And beyond understanding just the health impacts of food insecurity, the AAP recommends that pediatricians become familiar with and refer families to community resources and advocate for policies that support access to nutritious food. So Saba, tell me, what is food insecurity and what does a food insecure household look like? So Katie, it's interesting you ask that because
1: that definition has been um, changing over the last 10 years but most recently with the attention that this area has received it's being defined by the usda um, as a state of being without a reliable access to a sufficient quantity
0: of affordable nutritious food and how big is that problem
1: in philadelphia so unfortunately um, it's uh, not getting better so the numbers uh, a few years ago when i became involved and interested in looking at this area was about 20 percent and Most recent numbers um,
0: are looking like they're about 22%, and these are numbers from the Coalition Against Hunger. And so I know that in some of our primary care sites, we have food insecurity screening questions that are built into our well visits. But for those of us who don't, what questions would you recommend providers use to screen for food insecurity at their well visits?
1: Yes, I can certainly help you with that. Um, These two questions, and it's only a two-item question that um, is currently being used um, in at CHOP but also around the country. And it's based on a number of questions that were put together by Hager Hager and all from a a, a study they did um, several years ago looking at specifically children's food insecurity. Um, And they're based on a larger 18 survey question that the USDA put together. And so those two questions are, Um, asking uh, adult family member within the past 12 months, we worried whether our food would run out before we got money to buy more. Is this often true, sometimes true or never true? Um, The second question is within the past 12 months, the food we bought just didn't last and we didn't have any money to buy anymore. Is this often true, sometimes true or never true? If any one of those questions is often or sometimes, then that family is deemed as food insecure. Um, going into kind of technicalities, if the families are answering often and often both questions, then they're deemed
0: as um, very uh, low food insecurity. And so what nutrition programs and resources exist in Philly that providers can refer these families to who screen for food insecurity positive? So.
1: That's to say, while this is uh, you know, a very emotive subject, there is a very thick silver line to this cloud. There are uh, lots of public programs that are already available, um, such as programs that providers already may know about. So, of course, there's the WIC program. There is the SNAP program, which uh, folks may remember the old food stamps that is now known as the SNAP program. But there's also a great deal of um, nonprofits out there doing a great deal of work. There's the Hunger Coalition. Um, There is also um, Witnesses to Hunger, which is a program through Drexel as well that does a lot of work around this too. A lot of religious organizations, churches, mosques, synagogues are also doing a great deal of work too. Um, Share is um, actually one of the biggest food distributors in the country and that's on our doorstep. And they also are doing
0: some amazing work. Great, I love that there's so many places we can refer people to when we do have these conversations with families i know that you put these questions in epic not only just to remind me to ask about food insecurity <laughs> but because you're also doing research so what research comes from the questions that we answer in the epic smart sets so um i'm so glad
1: that the aap um, has taken on board what. Um, I have to say CHOP has been doing for a number of years now and it's really through to the efforts of um, not just providers but um, the CHOP uh, primary care teams really recognising that the social determinants of health are extremely important to screen for in order to provide our children with the best um, health outcomes possible. Mm. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, yeah, that said, I think um, the research um, that's been kind of put together is really to um, see what we are doing if we're doing it well. Mm -hmm. So uh, most recently, um, I've been involved in a research study, a project that was just actually starting to screen um, families within the primary care network three particular sites um, who had youngsters under the age of five. And we were screening folks um, through EPIC, so through the um, regular um, EPIC visit, but we're also screening folks um, with the uh, reception staff also asking the questions too. And really this study was there to kind of create what is the best format to kind of ask folks these very uncomfortable questions. and the very exciting thing about this project was this wasn't a project that CHOP did by themselves. Um, we had the benefit of having uh, Benefits Data Trust, which is a nonprofit that does a lot of great work in helping these families gain resources. And we also had uh, Witnesses Against Hunger, um, so investigators from Drexel, um, actually overseeing and, and making sure we were doing this in an, object, in an objective way. Um, really. What we're hoping to find from this study is what is um, really going to be feasible in a primary care healthcare setting to be the best mode of asking these uncomfortable questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're finding, even preliminary, kind of looking at the early findings, is that it's um, essentially a philosophy of one glove doesn't fit all. There's right. going to have to be a multimodal um, way of asking these questions and a multimodal mul- excuse me multimodal approach to um, the solutions for this issue too. And I think right now it's just getting providers and folks in the healthcare setting comfortable asking this question um, and helping making sure that families are comfortable being asked those questions.
0: Great, I look forward to seeing a lot of that come out um, later on, that sounds like a a lot of projects coming out of two simple questions, so it's exciting. Shifting gears a little bit, now that kids are back at school, we know that through the national school breakfast and lunch programs, many low-income children can get healthy meals at school for free or at a reduced price depending on their family's income. But when I'm in clinic, a lot of times patients are telling me that they don't like their school meal, whether it's breakfast or lunch, and they don't want to eat it. Do you know anything about the quality of the meals that are provided in the Philadelphia public schools? Are they nutritious, and are my patients right, or should, are there options there that we can suggest to them uh, for the the picky eaters? So I think uh, there's a bit of
1: um, – so I think they – are right in one sense because it's their perspective of what's being offered, but they are incorrect in some of uh, the fact that Philadelphia in particular has made great efforts in making school lunches uh, more healthy. Um, Get Healthy Philly, which may be a program that the city um, spearheaded several years ago under Mayor Nutter. did a great deal for really helping this city move and start to eat better and become more aware of um, making healthful changes. Um, So a lot of uh, the school lunches that they're getting are actually reasonable. Mm -hmm. Now, I think there still needs to be a great deal more done in helping children recognize that um, vegetables on their plate can be actually delicious and how they can start to find a way to um, uh, feel that the
0: foods that are on their plate are delicious. Right. And I know that some kids have more ownership of the meal they're eating if they helped grow it, and I've seen some schools starting their own gardens, and I know our Carabots clinic also has their own garden there. Is that an initiative that you've been aware of or seen or heard?
1: Absolutely. And there's been a a great deal of media coverage. And I know there's been filmmakers out there who've been um, addressing those issues. I think it really literally is you are what you eat and you actually have to role model what you would like your family to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So unfortunately for parents, that means still work for them, that you're always the role model. They're always watching you. They're always looking at you. So if you're not making those healthful choices, it's hard for you to then ask your youngsters to do the same. Um, and I think they really are still looking to their parents and their teachers and their community um, for the kind of uh, kind of best way to figure out how to eat and live themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think absolutely getting them involved in cooking and learning where their food comes from and how it comes is absolutely um, going to be
0: part of the solution. Yeah, great. At CHOP we're so lucky to have the Healthy Weight Program on our doorstep. The Healthy Weight Program is made up of experts from several specialties. So when I refer a child to your program, how is it determined whether or not they're going to be seen by someone who's a general pediatrician with primary care experience like yourself, or if they're going to be seen by a gastroenterologist or an endocrinologist, and does it matter? Are you all trained equally um, when it comes to this topic?
1: So um, thank you for asking a question. We have got a um, reasonably um, involved intake process uh, where we do ask uh, families if they have ever had any encounters with the gastroenterologist or endocrinologist for issues such as comor- comorbidities of obesity, mm-hmm. such as diabetes and fatty liver disease. Um, but generally that first intake visit the general pediatrician or the endocrinologist or the gastroenterologist is going to be doing much of the same uh, which is really kind of honing in and really um, looking uh, to see how this family's really been living how this child has been living and um, trying to evaluate the comorbidities they may or may not already have and from there forth we'll figure out the kind of best path for them to take of course involving the family from the Go-Get. This always has to be patient-centric or it's not going to work.
0: If in your screening process with the initial labs, you determine that there's an endocrine issue such as diabetes, would you bring the endocrinologist from the team into the patient's care if they weren't already a part of the team? Not necessarily. Um,
1: I think we want to make sure that we continue to deliver Um, good care so we'll have the child come in evaluate them um, not delay care um, and then make sure at the same time if there is uh, a concern for um, a diabetic um, process taking place that we get them into CHOP endocrine um, because their diabetic care uh, should never be compromised and we've worked closely with the Diabetes Centre and the recommendations in us talking with them is that right now they're going to be best served in having an initial visit with an endocrinologist and starting to meet that team too. And then from then forth, both teams will work together. Great.
0: So you have a special position having been in primary care to know what we do in clinic. And so beyond the medical evaluation and treatment plan, what can the Healthy Weight Program offer patients and families beyond what we do in primary care already?
1: So first off, I
0: think um, the role of the primary care clinician in this is
1: still critical and integral and I don't think can ever be replaced. Um, being the medical home, um, you know, you're, you're in a place that you are right there in the here and now with that family. Um, We'd like to be though, more than just in a place where people come to get assessed for comorbidities. We'd like to be able to be um, another bridge um, for that family to making healthful changes. So the way that I phrase it to families is that you may see us um, many times over this next year, um, or next couple of years, and we hope that we continue to still um, inform your primary care pediatrician of the progress you're making. And eventually you want to get to a place where we share your care eventually we would want to transition you back to the primary care clinician. I think in what we offer more is um, with the fact that this is a clinic program devoted just to this, we have got um, the benefit of having nutritionists, physical activity specialists, um, a social worker and psychologists that are devoted um, to this area um, who have expertise in this area, as well as clinicians that are involved. So I think it's those other um, experts that is what make a healthy weight special.
0: That's great, and it really makes it a complete team that can great. look at the whole patient. So in addition to screening for food insecurity, the AAP suggested that we advocate for policies that support access to nutritious food. So how can pediatricians advocate for access to healthy foods for children at the local level? So
1: I, I think, um, you know, you made a really great point. Uh, the fact that the AAP is already kind of mandating and stating that we need to be involved is hopefully already um, helping this become something that's on primary care providers' antennae. Um, I think it's now, though, being aware. And it, I think it takes that first patient when you realise this is truly uh, an, an issue that affects your uh, the families you're taking care of. Um, I think that's what happened for me is that I became very aware of the food banks in the area that um, my families were living in. Um, I became aware of what they were doing. Um, I talked to my colleagues about programs they may or may not be aware of. Um, and I think that's what's really it's about. It's about uh, disseminating and, um, uh, the information we already know and then trying to advocate and learn more and be supportive of uh, programs that exist um, locally, um, nationally, um, that are doing the same things. So for example, um, the Food Trust, particularly for Philly, Mm -hmm. is doing a great deal um, within the schools, outside of the schools. They've got programs within the schools such as Farm to City where they're bringing already on board educators um, and other folks that are uh, offering STEM curriculum based um, projects, um, talking about healthy foods and vegetables, introducing youngsters to vegetables they've never seen um, Mm -hmm. and what they could taste like. Uh, They're doing this similarly for um, adolescents too through their Hype program, but they're also doing for the adults through the uh, peach program, which is people eating and cooking. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're simply the drink up which is the the water promotion project they're doing too. And they're doing this with the city, Um, but that's where we could really kind of start to get involved. But it's not just folks like Food Trust, it's uh, foundations such as Vetri, it is the city Mm -hmm. and it's CHOP itself. So I think though it's time for this to really stick. It's time for those different um, partners to kind of come together and, and start to collaborate. So we're all aware
0: of what we're doing. Great. Well, that's amazing. You've taught me so much about what's going on in our city, and it's really exciting to hear that there's so many programs out there that our patients can access and that are already existing that we can help support, that we don't have to take this on from the ground up ourselves. As primary care pediatricians, we can just tap into the resources that already exist. So thanks for bringing those all to our our forefront. I know Saba now for many years, and I know that she's a busy working mom, and obviously she's got a lot going on at the Healthy Weight Program. So tell us what your secrets are to getting healthy food on the table uh, for your family.
1: Uh, Well, I I know Katie right back at you. You're you're (laughs) in the same place as I am with a a young, growing family, and um, I think it kinda comes back to something I alluded to before is role modeling and and trying to live well myself and trying to take care of myself first Mm -hmm. and foremost. But uh, talking on a very practical level when there's three young people who are very hungry and uh, very um, angry and want something to eat, especially after school, um, I think it's having some go-to healthy snacks available. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I always have carrots. um, I always have um, edamame. I always have um, some celery cut up. um, And if I haven't got it immediately cut up as I walk through, I I think the secret, true secret, is prep. It's Mm -hmm. all about having things prepared beforehand. So that does mean that I am up later, um, making sure that I have things ready for when we're going to be walking through that door at 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means, though, that I can help them stem off those unhealthy, woe snacks and to focus mm-hmm. on go snacks, which is obviously go me alluding to the fact snacks that you say, you know, I'm OK with you having carrots all the time, um, and then not necessarily going towards the treat cupboard where there's maybe some more unhealthy things around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's prep and I think it's something you alluded to, which is involving them as well. Right. Um, and uh, you know, seeing where they can be involved in, um, not just um, the food, but in, in kind of like preparing the table. Right. So helping set the table, um, sitting down to a meal together, um, talking about their day. And I think um, that is actually what a lot of the nonprofits are doing too. Um, mm. The Vetri Foundation is specifically has a program called Etiquette, where they're actually having children sit down put tablecloths, serve each other. And I think
0: if you can even start to model that in your own home, I think it's the first steps. Great, thank you for all these healthy tips for our families and for our patients, and really appreciate you talking with me today. And uh, we will be sending many children your way, I'm sure, at the Healthy Weight Program, so thanks so much for taking care of them. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. for listening to this episode of primary care perspectives you can download and subscribe to future episodes on itunes or visit chop.edu pcp podcasts for a listing of all episodes i look forward to our next chat